Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 50. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Well, it's our 50th episode, and we've got quite the show for you today. It's the trifecta number two. The trifecta is a special we do occasionally, which offers you three great flash stories for the ever-so-low price of free. This week is also special because it marks the end of the Nigerian Scam Spam Email Competition. We started this contest when we noticed that some of the best, most creative stories that we were getting submitted were being automatically filtered into our junk mailbox, just because they came from Nigeria. While many of these stories were clearly not proofread and did not fit with our submission guidelines, we decided to take a stand against this nationalistic spam filter story embargo and reach out to Nigerian writers saying, no, we won't give you our bank account information but we will give you a chance, a chance to be heard. The response was extraordinary. We had lots of imaginative and diverse work submitted in our discussion forum that are open and on display to the public. A tribute to cultural diversity and creative fiction that we here at the Drabblecast value so much. I'd encourage you to take a visit to our forums at www.drabblecast.org and see the exciting things going on there. Our independent panel of Nigerians have selected one story as the winner. But first, we're going to slam you with some awesome flash fiction, and then get to the contest. Our first piece is called Chi by Greg Van Eekout. Greg's work has been featured on Strange Horizons, Asimov's, Realms of Fantasy, and the science fiction podcast Escape Pod, to name a few. And this particular story, as well as other fantastic story grenades, can be found on Greg's own website, storygrenades.com. So without further ado, Chi by Greg Van Eekout. He was the size of a child, one of those twiggy ones they show you on the Gilto marshals that you can keep in shoes and chickens for just 30 cents a day. Only he was an old man. His black t-shirt had holes in it. His granddaughter was running the show, picking people from the sidewalk and telling them what to do. She organized a cluster of firemen. The biggest one pushed on the old man's shoulders, and another fireman pushed on the big guy's shoulders, and they formed a brawny sort of train that could probably bust through the walls of a burning building. The old man didn't budge. He didn't strain. The firemen grew frustrated. There was grunting and veins bulging from muscular necks. The old man wore a small daydream smile. Then he touched the fireman in front of him on the chest, and about 900 pounds of NYFD flew back like dry leaves in a gust. Chi, the granddaughter said. Internal energy. Power that flows through the body's meridians. Chi, the breath of heaven. People clapped and dropped coins and a few crumpled dollars in her upturned Mets cap. I approached her. May I try? She gave me a be-my-guest gesture and suggested I attempt to knock over her grandfather any way I could. 
He smiled shyly and gave me a small bow and spread his legs a bit. I pushed down on his shoulders. His knees instantly crumpled beneath him, and he went down hard on the pavement. It was as though someone had yanked the cord from an electrical socket. His granddaughter tried to help him up, and there were boos from the crowd as I walked away. I strapped on my tool belt and rode the service elevator down to the belly of the earth. When the doors screeched open, my ears popped and I stepped into the chamber. Arranged on terrace platforms above me, 999,999 monks hummed in meditation. The sound made my eyes vibrate. I found the silent one. He was small, Giltomercial sized. He'd been down here a very long time and was almost spent. I laid my hand on his head and let the chi I'd stolen from the old man on the sidewalk flow into his body. His eyes opened and he smiled, grateful, relieved, refreshed. With the chi engine below the earth repaired for now, I took the elevator back up. I still had time for a sandwich and coke before having to go out in search of more fuel. Watch your back, David Blaine. Our next story is called Headroom by Tom Williams. Tom lives in Perth, Australia, and you've heard his work here before on the Drabblecast with episode 30, 2084, and episode 42, 40 quarters. This particular story first appeared in Jackhammer, and then Antipodian SF. So without further gratuitous ado, Headroom by Tom Williams. The teacher scrutinized his charges in the virtual classroom. Yes, they were all here, each young, naked brain in its nutrient bath, a real-world representation accompanied by a tiny identifying icon. The teacher fancied, however, that he could recognize each individual child's brain without the aid of the icons. He could distinguish the characteristic patterns of the furrows in each cerebrum. For today's lesson, we are going to study the life of Bernard Wilkins. Does anyone know what Wilkins' main claim to fame was? An icon of a yellow crown glowed bright and golden. Peter King thought he knew the answer. Go ahead, Peter, said the teacher. Sir, said Peter's virtual voice, Bernard Wilkins was the first person in history to exist without a body. That's right, Peter. What else do you know about him? Not much, sir. Can anyone else add to what Peter just said? None of the icons lit up. All right, said the teacher. To understand the Wilkins case, you have to know something of the background to this life. Firstly, at the start of this 21st century, people still possessed bodies. They were vulnerable to disease and injury because they were mobile and always moving around in the open. Bernard Wilkins was a very old man, afflicted by numerous disorders. Various limbs and organs had been removed and replaced with artificial components over the course of his life. Eventually, a heart problem and advancing medical technology enabled him to become the first person to exist merely as a head, not a bare brain as we are, but as a whole head immersed in nutrient fluid. An icon of a storm cloud lit up. Wendy Gray had a question. 
Yes, Wendy, what is it? You mean, sir, that he still had eyes and ears and all that sort of primitive stuff? Yes, he could literally see that he was in a tank of fluid. He did not exist in a virtual world as we do. And that was the problem. He could not stimulate his mind adequately. It was subject to the same unchanging stimuli. The yellow crown glowed again, and the teacher gave Peter King permission to ask a question. What happened to Bernard? He got a headache. The worst kind of one, because it affected the entirety of the body in which he abided. So he made his biggest mistake. He asked doctors to prepare an artificial brain to contain a recording of his mind. John Hook's fishing rod icon lit up. Yes, John? Well, wh why was it a mistake? Because the information of Wilkins' mind, the totality of experiences that made him who he was, was lost when that primitive computer system crashed. It was a fairly common occurrence in those days, and the data could not be retrieved. There was an important lesson to be learned from the Wilkins incident. The teacher made sure that his entire class was attentive. All icons were lit, indicating that every child wanted to ask the same question. He gave Wendy Gray permission. What's the lesson, sir? The teacher smiled. When you're ahead, stay ahead. Our final story is called Performance Anxiety by Weldon Burge. Weldon reluctantly sent us this story, warning us that it might be too icky for Drabblecast. Whatever, your mom's too icky for Drabblecast. Weldon's stories have appeared in The Edge, Future's Mysterious Anthology Magazine, Alien Skin, and Out and About. And we're happy to have this work here on Drabblecast. Without additional wanton ado, Performance Anxiety by Weldon Burge. I had no idea what she expected. How could I? This was my first time. She was gorgeous, of course. Those delicious full breasts that are to die for. The luxurious auburn hair to her shoulders. Her emerald eyes that could fill you with warmth and glee with a single glance. But the smile, my God, that smile. And when she laughed, it was utterly infectious. I couldn't help but join her in laughter every time. I truly loved this woman. My greatest fear was disappointing her. She touched me lightly on the shoulder. I turned my eyes up to hers. She stroked my arm, something she knew would soothe me. It's okay, she said. Take your time. Everything is gonna be fine. I wasn't so sure. This felt like commitment to me. How could I do this and not change my relationship with her? It would change things between us, forever. She'd been patient all along, and now it was up to me. She smiled. At least she wasn't angry at me. I don't know what I'd ever do if she became angry at me. You're not comfortable, are you? I couldn't say anything. What could I say? Here, let's change your position a bit. Maybe that'll help. She maneuvered me only slightly, and it did feel better, less awkward. At least now I didn't feel like I would slip, but it still didn't feel right. She kissed me on the forehead, 
Maybe you're not ready for this, she said. Maybe it's too early. We can always wait and try again later. The last thing I want to do is rush you. But she didn't move. She just stared at me with those amazing eyes, waiting. Waiting for what? I didn't know. Just waiting. I had no idea what to do, much less what she expected. But I couldn't let her down, not if she had had this much patience and faith in me all this time. And then, just like that, it happened. Instant glorious release. The sensation was amazing, like nothing I'd ever experienced. I opened my eyes and I looked into her beautiful, smiling face. Clearly, I had satisfied her as well. I'm sure I was beaming. I might have even had a little drool on the corner of my mouth. Good boy! She was thrilled with my performance. She even did a little clap to express her appreciation. Then, in her familiar soothing voice, my mother said, You just went doo-doo for the first time. Good boy. I looked down between my legs. Sure enough, the goal of my incredible exertion rested at the bottom of the portable plastic commode. I looked up into her appreciative eyes. See, that wasn't so bad, was it? She said. No. Indeed, it had been immensely pleasurable. I looked forward to doing it again as soon as possible. Okay, I think we should clean you up now. Mom lifted me from the seat. My God, how I love this woman. Alright, maybe your mom isn't too icky for Drabblecast. You need Farouk, and Farouk needs you. Greetings of New Year, and much fertility to your wives. My name is Farouk Abimbola. As I am sure a wise sir such as yourself is aware, the economy of Nigeria is based entirely on the exports of cocoa, 3%, footwear, 2%, and email fraud, 95%, to the United States. In last year, however, the citizens of your country have neglected to partake in our most generous offers for free wealth. As a result of this most unfortitious decrease in cyber investment, we find ourselves in a national depression of sort. Therefore, I have set in motion plans to move to America, where I myself may capitalize on the bounty of profitable Nigerian email opportunities which your people so carelessly filter as junk mail. However, in order that I may partake of these generous, risk-free offers, I must first transfer my life savings to the account of a U.S. citizen. If you would please send me your bank account information, most kind and prudent, sir, I will promptly make deposit of $100,000. You may keep this money, of course, as I will immediately make it back by accepting the riches of all my countrymen who are in dire need to give theirs away. Nigeria needs Farouk, you see, and Farouk needs you. A pleasure is doing business with you, yours with most sincerely, Farouk. Abimbola. Congratulations to listener Adam, the contest winner, who submitted that story on behalf of Mr. Farouk Abimbola. The direct translation of Farouk Abimbola in Nigeria, by the way, is he who is wealthy and would never lie. 
To help Mr. Abimbola in his efforts to spread short speculative fiction to thousands of new and diverse audiences via email, we will send this story to everyone in our combined mailing lists so that others may enjoy. Thanks to all who submitted scam spam emails, there really were some hilarious stories. If you would like to help us propagate Adam's email, feel free to cut and paste it from our forums and send it to all your friends. If it doesn't make them laugh, it will at least confuse the hell out of them. The final bit of administrivia today is the end of round one for the 2007-2008 People's Choice Drabblecast Awards. We have four stories going to the final round, with Code Brown by Dermot Glennon in first, Jelly Park by Aaliyah Whiteley in a close second, and The Worm Within by Vincent Eaton and Beekeepers by J. Allen Pierce, tied for third place. Voting is open back up for the rest of February, so hit the forums and let us know which of these stories you enjoyed the most. That's all for this week. The Drabblecast uses a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial no derivatives license, which means you can share it with the world, but you can't alter it or profit from it. If you enjoy the weekly flash fiction we bring you, feel free to donate to us via the menacing yellow PayPal button on our website, so we can pay our authors and such. All donations are appreciative most sincerely. Our staff is made up of co-editors Luke Coddington, Kendall Marchman, and myself, Norm Sherman, reminding you, when you're ahead, stay ahead.